Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Welcome to Small Business Digest on Blog Talk Radio. Now entering its fifth year, this show is hosted by Don Mazella, Editorial Director of Small Business Digest. Each week he brings you advice and information from experts and small business leaders like yourself. Each show is designed to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas from authors, experts, and small business leaders, just like most of the individuals who make up our audience. Whenever possible, Small Business Digest tests the products and services featured on the show to ensure they are of a quality to help listeners grow their small business. Guests do not pay to appear, but are chosen for their ability to provide ideas and suggestions to improve operations, expand marketing, reduce cost, enable better personnel management, and add profits. Remember, all of our shows are archived at www.blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. You can hear this show and all others at your leisure. If you like what you hear, tell others about the program. If you have a question or suggestion, email us at editor at is-incorp.com. Should you want to join us on this program during our live hour each Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, dial 646-929-2337. That's editor at is-incorp.com or 646-929-2337. We're only as good as our guest and audience make us. You know, today uh, we have a really special guest. Uh, I'm looking forward to it because I've heard her talk. And her. Uh, we're talking t- today with Kate Newland. Uh, she's going to uh, tell us uh, a little bit about what c- consumers and others really think because that's what her company is all about. Kate, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Don. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, Kate, tell us a little bit about yourself, about your your company, and your website before we do anything else. All right. Well, I'm CEO and founder of my own company, which is Kate Newland Consulting, and our website is Kate, K-A-T-E, Newland, N-E-W-L-I-N.com. And what we do is develop uh, ways for companies and brands to really understand the meaning uh, that their brands carry for consumers in order to release that meaning as margin, as, as getting to the emotional content of brands in order to be able to command a margin rather than endlessly compete uh, on price. Well, uh, that's interesting. I have a lot of questions, uh, Kate. I'm going to start with uh, one that, that's on, uh, been on my mind. Being an older um, uh a member of society and uh, raised the idea of brand loyalty. It seems to be a passing fad today in terms of brand loyalty and that people don't buy based on brand anymore. What, what, what do you think about that? Well, I think that it, it, the market is bifurcating, right? It goes in one direction, which is price loyalty rather than brand loyalty. Uh, so you're exactly right about that, Don. The, the notion is, is that we'll, 
you know, we used to be either Coke drinkers or Pepsi drinkers, and now we'll take whatever is the 99 cent six pack deal, right? There's, we've, the, the differences are no longer personally relevant, and therefore we're price loyal. And the, the, a lot of different industries, a lot of different consumer products have, have gone to that place. On the other hand, there are categories and brands which actually put meaning, uh, still have relevance, still have meaning, and are able to showcase that to consumers in a way that makes them uh, relevant and, and makes people willing to look for that, search for that product or that category. And so you can see a mechanism through which meaning, and, and a lot of times right now it's talked of in terms of purpose. Uh, if you connect to the purpose of a brand uh, to its meaning uh, to the consumer, you'll oftentimes get people willing to be incredibly brand loyal. I think of, of uh, Tom's Shoes. We just did a, an exploration uh, not of not specific to Tom's, but not a client, but but for another client that was looking at this world of purpose-driven, purpose-led and fed brands, and what we heard is that Tom's kind of comes to the the top of the queue. One fellow said, uh, and again we we work with consumers under hypnosis, so we're getting at their at their at the real meaning of the of the brands for them. One guy said, you know, I think that Tom's really wants to make sure that people that don't have shoes get them and they need my help. So I always buy Tom's shoes. You know, it's it's a it's a when you connect the consumer to that sense of purpose, uh you do uh release the the apparent, the, uh, the ability for for consumers to be loyal. Uh so it it we do see it going either in price loyalty or or loyalty to an idea. Well, in your opinion, I mean, you raise an interesting point. What are some of the brands that still command this loyalty? Well, I think Newman's Own. Um, you know, they because 100% of their proceeds go to charity. I think um, there are, there's Burt's Bees that stand for something. You know, they're, they're great products. You never want to make the consumer make a trade-off where they have to buy less good products in order to support uh, causes. Uh, or or belief systems, uh, but I think what you see is is that there are opportunity areas where there's a there's a, a core belief on the part of the brand. Um, you know the one that I always think of, and again I don't represent these folks, but uh, Procter and Gamble with their uh, Dawn dishwashing liquid, where they show uh, the ducklings being cleaned of the grease, right? <laughs> when there's been a an oil spill. And it sits right on the core benefit, you know, the, the marketed benefit of, of Dawn, which is grease cutting power, uh, but it, it puts it in this much larger context of these poor little ducklings, right? And, and it gives consumers a sense that there's something they can do through their brand choices um, to, to make the world a better place, modestly better through your choice of a dishwashing liquid, but still a better place. I think we saw it with um, Dove uh, uh, products the, where they talked about women's body issues. And you're buying into a theory. You're buying into a, a worldview, and it does get you to loyalty. Well, uh, 
let's go over. I mean, that uh, for many years there was a, uh, differences between uh, Apple users and uh, Microsoft users. Mm -hmm. Would that um, and there are people who, who to this day swear by Apple or swear by uh, Microsoft, and never the twain shall meet. Is that another example of this, or is that in a different category? I, I think. I think that's eroded a bit because I'm a Apple user, but the the software I use is Office, you know, Microsoft Office. Um, they've they've kind of tried to lower those those barriers, I think, because they were uh, it was too sharp a line, I suspect, for either one to grow uh, the way they wanted to. Uh, so I think that there's a, uh, but I think where you do see it oftentimes in the world of technology is around the smartphones, uh, very hard to uh, get somebody who uses an Apple smartphone or an Android. You know, they, they, once you get used to it, used to the system, um, I think you, you just stay with it, and there are certain economic incentives baked into it. But it's not a, a lot about discounting, uh, about, you know, the death spiral of getting uh, products ever cheaper and this carving costs out of the system and making them less uh, fun to use, less fun to buy. Well, could we uh, jump over to uh, consumer clothes mm -hmm. and uh, sure. so-called so soft goods? Uh, you answered many of the questions. Uh, um, earlier this week, I went to the uh, uh, Moda show at the Javits Center and uh, the Curve show for, for Bra Foundations. And I, I think I, I, I mentioned it seemed that the uh, uh, value uh, uh, and loyalty went out the window, and it was all about price. And is, is that still is that the case nowadays? And is this the new, new reality? I think you're right, Don. I think uh, I mean you have to look at the whole apparel ecosystem, right? And say, you know, we're selling clothes primarily, or it used to be maybe five, ten years ago, primarily through retail. Um, uh, venues uh, and in the retailer you know I, I quoted to you this the other day this this quote that came to me from a from a fellow at Procter and Gamble I was writing my first book and and he said one generation of consumers has addicted three generation I mean I'm sorry one generation of marketers has addicted three generations of consumers to the heroin of price promotion and if you just hold that thought, this notion of addicted to price promotion, what happens is you see it in sharp relief in the, in the apparel industry because if, if we believe that we can sell, the, that the reason the consumers, the shopper is going to come into our shop is because we've got the, the goods for $5 less and we negotiate that price with the manufacturer, the brand stewards, and then they have to go back and carve costs out of the system, so they go offshore to make them. They go other places. They decide we don't need such good hems. We don't need such good fabrications. You know, it's just this slow erosion in order to meet a magical price point. And, and at every step, you carve the, the sense of there's a reason to pay more for this, and and one of the one of the key reasons uh, that consumers are finding, is shoppers find, is that when you walk into a, a retailer, uh, there's nobody there on the floor that actually knows 
why you would pay more for this. What are the markers of quality? So it's it's we're coming at it from a lot of different places, but as long as price uh, cheap is the North Star, uh, you're always going to have that freefall, that migration to cheap, cheaper, cheapest. Uh, then quality goes away, and you might as well buy it on Amazon, uh, you know, and get it in two days and not have to go through the, you know, anguish of going into a store and being ignored and treated like um, you're an incipient shoplifter. So it, it, you know, it, there are a lot of different ways that this gets this uh, obsession with price gets articulated, particularly in apparel. Well, uh, uh, let's go the other way. I, I have a lot of questions, but tell us how your uh, your company works, and uh, there are a lot of unique aspects to it. So please tell us a little bit about what you do and how you do it. Uh, uh, we're, we're talking with Kate Newland. Uh, she's uh, founder and head of Kate Newland uh, uh, Corporate, and she, uh, she tells the uh, uh, major consumer companies, uh, what sometimes they don't want to hear. But Kate, tell us a little bit about what you do and how you do it. All right, thank you. Uh, basically, we have an operating theory which says that in a consumer society, uh, brands carry a great deal of emotional meaning for consumers. And if we can leverage that meaning uh, and make it resonant and relevant and allow consumers to make those decisions, those purchase decisions, uh, we don't have to compete on price. We can uh, have a competitive advantage, which is emotionally driven, and that that caters to the, the aspirations of the consumer. Now, how do we find that emotional content of the brands? We have a three-step process. The first one is probably the most non-traditional, which is that we, I work with a fellow out on the West Coast who has figured out how to hypnotize consumers in a focus group-like setting. And what we do, we've been doing this for 15 years. He takes them down into a, a state which is, um, you know, where they're able to remember things. They're able to forget that they are worried about are they going to get paid right now and where do they park the car and all the kinds of things that we're, we're constantly besieged by. And we can get them into a place where they can answer six questions for us. And as I say, we've been doing this for 15 years, and we always ask the same six questions. What is your first, your most powerful, your most recent experience in the category, and your first, most powerful, most recent experience with the brand? And when from that first and most powerful memory, uh, we get, and some of these go back to when they're a year or three years old, you know, we're, we're really mining that that, that uh, archived understanding of the, of the category and the brand, the emotional density of it. Those are the promises that the, the category and brand carry. And then you get to the most recent, and typically these are the most disappointing uh, experiences where they go in hoping for something and they come out disappointed. So that most recent experience really shows us the white space, where, where the opportunity is to fix it, to get it back into the archetype of, of promise that the, that the brand or the category holds for the consumer. And that's, that's really where the, the core emotional content is identified and we start playing with it. We start figuring out how to deliver it. The second part of our process is, you know, we're, we're all surrounded by 
people that are wicked smart. They've got a lot of functional and analogous expertise. And what I've done over the years is to uh, create a Rolodex, essentially, of about 2,500 people who I respect and have worked with over the years, and I bring them in sequentially over the course of a day in two-hour stretches. So 12 folks at 10 o'clock, 12 different folks at 1 o'clock, 12 different folks at 4 o'clock, and I share with them what we've learned with the consumers, and I get all these very rich, uh, different experiences. Not and Now I'm not limited to my own professional expertise, but I'm really getting a lot of different people from a lot of different categories and industries to say, well, when we had this fit problem, here's what we did. So we, we build hypotheses, we build platforms, and then we go back into the company, to the corporation uh, that hired us, and we share all these insights, both from the consumer and from the experts, and then with them we craft solutions that will actually work for that company or that brand. And and by that, I mean, you know, we have a, a theory of the case which says that there are three legs to the right platform, three legs to the stool. Uh, one is consumer permission, so we get that uh, through the, through the uh, hypnosis. The second is core competencies, and so we we get that out of the stakeholders. We know what they can do, and we, we bring additional core competencies through the agent provocateurs, our expert groups. Um, but the third, and probably the most important, is something we call organizational will. And, you know, your listeners and you probably know that if you, you can have a genius idea, but if the organization isn't ready to adopt it, you hit that not invented here wall, and you can't get it executed. And so over the years, we've learned to build this sense of organizational will um, by helping them craft the ultimate answers. And those three elements, the core competencies, the consumer permission, and the organizational will, get us to a place where, um, as you suggest, sometimes it's what corporations don't want to hear that they have to do, but it gets us to a place where they can hear it and, and can act on it and can reverse whatever the issue, the presenting issue has been. Well, that's absolutely fascinating. We're talking with Kate Doolin. Of, uh, Kate Doolin, uh, uh, I, I want to say corporation, but company, yeah, right. but, but um, right, right. Uh, uh, can I now throw a, a controversial one at you, at you that uh, sure. um, actually started uh, last night and just came across um, my computer today. Um, you know, when I was growing up, you never saw a black person in a, in, a, in a commercial. Now you see them more and more, and now you see mixed families, et cetera. And um, I, I don't know if you could answer this or not, but uh, as, per, as a person who um, would be uh, uh, buying advertising, et cetera, is that... Um, uh, in effect, writing off an older generation. Uh, do you elicit negative feelings? Um, you, not you, the advertiser, by doing so, this for an older generation, yet going for a younger generation. That was the question that was posed to me last night, and I, frankly, I had no answer. Well, it's, it's I, I, I understand why. I think you know <laughs> baked into the question is a sense of ageism, right? That there's a uh, you know that there's a way of typecasting 
people by age to say that there's a cohort uh, that wouldn't like uh, black people in advertising and that, that it's age determinate. Uh, and I, I wouldn't grant that hypothesis, right? I wouldn't say that's necessarily true. I think, you know, we are a diverse culture. The likelihood that that, that is age-based um, uh, thinking uh, probably, uh, you know, as I say, I'm not willing to grant that as a as a premise. Um, I do think that one of the ways I wrote a book called Passion Brands, and I one of the I identified seven rules of how to create a passion brand, and and a passion brand is a brand that that when you recommend it to a friend and the friend doesn't like it the way you do, puts a question mark over the friendship, not the brand. Okay, so it's it's the ones we really really love. Um, one of the edicts, one of the rules was court controversy because controversy makes you noticeable, makes you stand for something. So I think there are brands um, that do, you know, it, to the extent that it, it is a, a controversial thing to say that black people use the product, um, you know, they, they are willing to stand by a diverse culture and stand up and say that. And, you know, if, if that puts the 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 theory of their appeal at risk, I think they're you know this is part of the reason why I believe that brands in a consumer society do have such emotional um, power uh, because they do stand for things and the question for the brand stewards become what do you want to stand for? Uh, but you know within reason I don't think you want to shy away from controversy. I think you do want to. Um, stand up for it, stand up for a series of beliefs, and allow people to decide, make their brand choices based on on beliefs that go beyond just ingredients and calorie counts and price. Well, get off that subject, because uh, what do you see as the trends in consumer behavior um, over the past three years and into the coming years? Well, I think you're you're watching... You know what? What had been a very slow move, uh, you know, like a like watching the top of an iceberg, uh, but underneath we've been seeing this erosion of retail uh, and in a movement, a transformation of retail into online, and I think that will not change. I think what also will happen is that people, we, we are social animals, right? We we do want to go out and see other people. We don't want to just live at home alone and, and work from home and, and email and text people from home and never go out. So the, the opportunity space becomes what are the things that people will be willing to leave home for? And those are the trends to watch. You know, I look at things like uh, the power of going into a Starbucks and I, I talked with Howard Schultz for one of the books and, and said, you know, people say they go to Starbucks for the social engagement. And he says, yes, I know, but we have the videotapes from the security films to prove that nobody talks to anybody in a Starbucks except the barista. So they, you know, <laughs> like, like you want to go in, you want to share in an experience, you just don't want to have to talk to people. And they've developed this syntax of, of getting you to tell them your first name so that they can then call you by your first name to tell you that you're, 
your beverage is ready. You know, you can cheat the system because we do want that that cheers phenomenon, right? Where some place to go where everybody knows your name. Um, I think that things like that, things like movies, uh, where again you go in, you're surrounded by strangers, you're going to have popcorn, you're going to lose yourself in a movie, but you're not going to know these people. Maybe you go with another person, but but you don't know the people, but you've now shared a very powerful experience with them. Um, those kinds of things, I think, um, where you can you can see other people, where you can engage with other people, are the places where mall developers need to be investing. You know, all the service things. You right now you can't get your nails done in your home. I mean, you can, but it, it's it's a pricey uh, initiative. But you do have to leave home for it. Um, you know, what are the things? Haircuts. What are the things? Uh, exercise, where you're not. You're not really engaging with other people, but you are with other people and you're sharing an experience with them and those kinds of activities. I think also the, you know, if you think about any great retail experience you've had, it tends to be in a place where there's a semi-professional or professional um, uh, person talking to you. So a wine store where you go in and you want to learn, you want to know what the best wine to go with them is a dinner you're you're going to a friend's house you know you want to you want to uh go into a cheesemonger shop you know all these perfect bespoke experiences again they're not uh you know they're they're pretty price imper- impervious uh when you're buying one of one thing um you're you're not so concerned about the commodity pricing of it um so you're 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 going into these places you, they're being curated by people in the know uh, and they're able to explain to you uh, why this cheese, why that wine. Those kinds of experiences, I think, are also the future. If you have a professional sales staff, that you know, if there's something they can teach, that something they're passionate about, um, I think those kinds of of activities set you up beautifully for for the future of consumers wanting either a shared experience, a sense of um, uh, learning of discovery. Well, you, you, you know, it's funny you say that because a, a friend of ours uh, um, went to uh, the, one of these new franchises where you paint and drink wine at the same uh-huh. time, and right. uh, she 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 said it was a, a very illuminating experience. Um, and it turns out that apparently it's one of the fastest growing. Um, areas uh, of, of new uh, establishments in the United States. Yet it's a, one of those quiet revolutions that we don't hear about. Um, uh, uh, when you were talking, I was reminded of Yogi Berra's famous line, people don't go there anymore, it's too crowded. Um, right. if, you remember, uh, if you remember that. Um, but you know, we had um, on my other program, we had a, a man who provides franchises uh, that buys uh, cl- buys and buys clothes, used clothes or or like baby clothes and children's clothes. And you, it's a franchise, and then they resell them. And apparently, it's one of the fastest growing groups of uh, franchises going. Um, and again, going back to you, uh, it's not value so much as it is um, uh, a price concession. Um, mm-hmm. um, uh, I don't know why I brought, brought it up, except that uh, I kind of reinforcing your point. We're talking with Kate Newland. But, uh, Kate, uh, 
well, also at the uh, Curves convention this past uh, uh, Sunday, we saw this uh, a company called uh, <laughs> the Cat's Pajama. Uh, the Cat's Pajama, a very catchy name, and um, they um, they are the mid-price uh, sleepwear pajamas, and they um, sell here. They sell here in the United States and in Peru, and have two separate uh, uh, price points, but but are in the fifty to one hundred dollar retail range, and and they said that that. Uh, that was a growing area, but if they went above it or below it, they couldn't compete. Um, would you want to comment on that at all? Well, I think there probably are sweet spots. You know, you're you're for for different categories um, that say this is within my pricing tolerance. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna um, you know leave one store and go to another to find uh, different pajamas if this is within tolerance if it's within my range and so i think if they've figured out their range uh that's acceptable without with enough of a of a of a power to what in their design or in their fabrication that it makes it compelling to consumers and it doesn't doesn't make them go running for the exit signs when they look at the price Let me ask you one more uh, question. Um, our audience is made up, uh, 59% of our audience are presidents and or owners. Where do you see the, um, and American Express has made a big thing about support your local small business. Where do you see the, uh, the is the niche for small business in America today? I think it's in that area of education and discovery. When we do work under uh, hypnosis, the, the unifying principle of, of what shoppers are looking for is emotionally is a feeling of being lucky, uh, of finding the right thing that they were looking for to go with the other thing that they already bought or to complete a set of this or to make an accent uh, design statement in their living or whatever the, whatever the category is. They want to feel lucky. Now, what manufacturers and retailers have done is to say, well, lucky means cheap, means you got it on deal. And, and you know, the easiest way to find that is to say, what do people talk about when they leave? Are they talking about how they found the perfect uh, fabric or the right color or the, the shoes to go with the outfit? Or are they talking about, I got it for, you know, 40% off? they're talking about I got it for 40% off 40% comes from somewhere it comes from not having staff on site it comes from uh, not uh, cleaning the, the, the restrooms or the or the fitting rooms frequently enough it comes that you know that 40% doesn't just magically disappear so so I think the opportunity for small retail for small business is to say how can I actually deliver luck uh, that feeling of being lucky, of having uh, found the right thing, the perfect thing, the thing I was looking for. Uh, how, how do they do that? And, and a great way of doing it is through telling of the backstory of how, where this pillow came from or where this design was originally found. You know, like to know the merchandise, to to be able to be passionate about the merchandise, the goods, um, becomes a genuine differentiator. Uh, 
in a in a in a world of sameness, in a world of price loyalty, you, you want to go into these places. I think I told you, Don, about um, a speech that I gave down in Atlanta for a a group on of uh, small retailers. And what you hear is this: I, I was I really went with the belief that that these folks are the future. This is it. These are the small retailers who can deliver these well curated professional sales experience. Now, what I found was people irritated by the consumer. Um, she brings her kids in. She wants to bring her stroller in. She, they, the kids have dirty hands or, or they want to use the restroom and they haven't bought anything. All the, you know, they, they're too much on their cell phones. They don't look up. Um, you know, just this litany of complaints about the consumers, which, which creates an adversarial uh, quality. So I think, you know, to go back to an old adage of the customer is always right, um, is is back to the future. I think there's going to be a, a, a why would we leave home if we can buy it through Amazon and get it in two days? Uh, we leave home to learn. We lean, le- leave home in order to discover. Um, <clears throat> we we leave home in order to have an experience. You know, we talk to our clients about ju- not just retail engagement, but enchantment. And if you hold yourself to that enchantment standard, it's a tough one. You know, it's a tough one. Uh, but you do things differently uh, when you begin to think, well, what would an, an enchanting experience be for the, my, my customer? Um, and it's not just sending them to the website. Uh, it's not just telling them, I don't know if we have the inventory. Uh, I don't know if I can get that to you. Uh, you know, the, the ways in which we, we don't serve them where they're an irritant are the ways in which we lose the the momentum that the marketplace should will surely um, offer at this point. You know, it's uh, if I'm hearing you right, um, and uh, correct me if I'm. Uh, basically, it's the ability to uh, recognize and really service the customer that will really uh, set the small business. Uh, uh, leader, uh, 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 I should say, uh, apart from uh, uh, the bigger competitors. Am I hearing that correctly? Absolutely. Absolutely. We want to feel like we matter. Freud says what we're all after in life is a sense of significance. You walk into these big box places, you never felt less significant, right? You go on Amazon, you don't think they care particularly about you. You, they think, you. you think they have a great algorithm that says people that bought this also bought this. But it's not, it's not personal as a human. Uh, and so this moment of personal human interaction is powerful, and it can go either way. Well, uh, kind of... Uh... It's funny you say that because yesterday I, I was in a, a Cuban restaurant in uh, a very wealthy section of uh, Hoboken, New Jersey, and I, I happened to be sitting, so I watched the receptionist, um, and uh, they did a remarkable um, uh, takeout business of mothers uh, with children or um, uh, nannies with children, uh, remarkable. And the, the, the receptionist uh, literally hugged every little uh, <laughs> boy or girl that came in, et cetera. And I was just watching that, and I talked to the, uh, uh, not realizing we would have this conversation, I was talking to the manager, and he said their uh, average takeout 
was seventy-eight dollars, wow. versus their average um, of uh, their average meal was fifty-two. So um, you know, and he he put it all on the receptionist who had been there a year, and it really made. The mothers went out for their walk, stopped and, and bought the lunch for them and the kids and went home. You know, it was just a, a fascinating experience. But uh, can I go sideways uh, and tell you another experience that I just found out? I lost my bank card um, uh, uh, last week. And after uh, 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 talking with three different people, at uh, my least favorite bank, which uh, which is Bank of America, they gave me a new card, and not one of the three people told me that they were going to slam me with a five dollar fee <laughs> for that. And I only found out about it today when I looked at my account. And you know the the biggest complaint about uh, airlines and banks is that they're they're sliming us with uh, fees. Is that a, a, a good thing, bad thing? It's, it's generating billions of dollars, but is that really um, what people want and need? Well, it's definitely not what they want, right? Like nobody wants to spend $5 for the privilege of working with this bank today, right? Like it's not, it, it's, it would be like a retailer charging an admission fee. Um, you, you've got to have something pretty compelling uh, to get people to pay to, to use your, your, your goods and services. Uh, and I don't think banks hold up to that promise. Uh, airlines certainly don't. There's a lot of pent-up rage out there against airlines um, because of the shrinkage of the seats, because of the, 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 the lockstep in which all airlines uh, do, these act, do these charges, institute these charges, um, because it feels like you know, if if it, if one airline came out and said we're not going to do it and and we're going to roll back price, you know, like you'd you'd have you you'd see the pent up power in the market if there was an alternative, but there simply isn't, right? Uh, all banks are going to charge five dollars for a missed card. All airlines are going to charge you uh, for a second bag, uh, and in some cases the first, and they're going to charge you a lot for an uncomfortable seat. They're they're all going to do it. So. You know, I mean, this is the power of the um, the capitalist system. There should be an alternative emerging at some point here, <laughs> because it it we have no choice. It's a forced market. We we if we need to travel, uh, yes, we can take the train. Yes, we can take a bus. But you know, increasingly unlikely, uh, we are going to have to use a plane. And if we're going to take a plane, and there's no serious differentiator. Um, you know, we've all got miles now on pretty much all the airlines. It's not, you know, it's it's a it's it's a manufacturer's game, um, mm-hmm. but it isn't fun, and it and there is pent up demand for an alternative. Well, you can rest assured, I'm not recommending my bank, which is Bank of America, to anybody uh, right. at any time. Um, the nice thing about it, we're, we're we're winding down. I mean, I could talk to you for hours, but uh, Kate, what are the two, two or three things you'd like to tell our audience about uh, consumers or anything else that you think that they should know? Well, I think the number one thing is that consumer brands carry values uh, beyond value, beyond beyond price, and the trick is to figure out what it is. 
and how to showcase it in, a, in, a, in an emotionally resonant way. It's there. It's there to be had. Uh, but, the, but, but it takes some due diligence. It takes some real thinking about it. And I think the other thing is to, is to really hold yourself to a standard. I worked with lens crafters years and years ago, and, and we crafted this sign that went on all of their doors which said, no, no signs. Um, so, so what that meant was they weren't going to put up any, any signals to the consumer that said no. So if you have a stroller, you walk on in. If you've got an ice cream cone, you walk on in. If your dog is with you, you walk on in. You're, you know, if you need to use the restroom and you're not going to buy a pair of glasses, that's okay too. Uh, a welcoming, a sense of the consumer not as adversary but as, as person walking around looking for human connection. Uh, and being one of the places that you provide it. It might not get you the sale today, but it will get you uh, the the emotional connection for sales forever. You, you know, that's ironic. You, you mentioned them because um, uh, I break my glasses fairly regularly. Not break them, they, they pop out. And I go in there, and without a murmur, they help me and are very nice about it. Uh, you know, and I always recommend them, even though sometimes if you compare the prices, they might be off a little bit. But you're so right, and you you were so right to recommend that. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, we, uh, Kate, uh, tell our audience again your website and how people can reach you. All right. So it's katenewland.com. So it's K-A-T-E-N-E-W. LIN.com. That's the website. I'm also on LinkedIn, of course, same name. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're always interested. I post uh, a blog uh, every week on LinkedIn, uh, always looking for comments, always looking for uh, new ways of thinking about uh, the, the issues facing consumers in a developed country. Well, uh, Kate, uh, anything else you want to tell our audience? You tell them so much. Uh, uh, this time, anything else you want to say before we we call it a day? Well, I guess I've mentioned um, that I have two books. One is called Shopportunity, and the other is called Passion Brands. So um, those are both out there, uh, and and they express this philosophy in a great deal more detail. Both of which were were written because of my frustrations with the with the prevailing uh, winds. Of, uh, of commerce uh, in this country. So, so those are two other uh, places to, to engage and to think about these issues. Thank you so much, for Kate, for joining us today. It's been a pleasure, and I, I hope you'll come back again soon and, and talk some more. Thank you. Absolutely. Anytime, Don. Thank you. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. We will be back next week with other guests invited to help you, our audience, improve operations, expand marketing, reduce cost, enable better personnel management, and add profits. Remember, all of our shows are archived at www.blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. You can hear this show and all others at your leisure. If you like the show, tell others about it. Want to make a comment or be a guest? Email us at editor at is-incorp.com. Your host was Don Mazella.
Editorial Director of Small Business Digest. Until next time, keep faith with the ideals that made America great, and remember, small business is still the backbone of commerce.